0: well good morning everyone i want to say greetings to all of you who are here thank you for choosing to be here and for those of you who are watching online i'd like to say thank you for choosing to join us as well of of, um, imperfect people that have found hope in christ jesus and that has changed everything And that hope has given us a purpose for life. And we uh, want to let everyone know about this new purpose that we have through the hope of Christ Jesus. If you'd like to know more about our church, you, if you're online, just go to our webpage, am.church. We'd love to have you contact us. If you're here in person, there'll be several of us in the back at our Welcome Center. We would love to talk to you and find ways that, that you can get plugged in and connected. You know, it's times like this that we kind of might think that there 's not very much going on that uh, that you know we 're kind of stagnated but really that 's not the case there are so many wonderful things that are happening and uh, for instance last night w- there were a lot of our church family who were able to take part in something that was worldwide there were tens of thousands of couples that that were part of a marriage night marriage enhancement time we had a Uh, group here at the building. We had lots that were scattered throughout our city and we were able to be blessed by a wonderful time of of just refocusing on how important it is for us as husbands and wives to to really learn how to walk together and love each other in a way that honors and glorifies God. And I also would like to let you know that uh, the Welcome Center is open for open house. (coughs) today and so if you haven't had a chance to go in there we would encourage you to do so because next week we're not going to have open house we're actually going to be purposing the welcome center begin using it as it was originally intended and so we're going to be really uh hoping that that this can be a a entryway, a front porch for those who are wanting to find ways to learn more about Jesus, our church, and to be able to be plugged in and connected. And so if you're interested in being part of our howdy ministry, you can go online and and sign up or you could uh, just talk to someone there in the Welcome Center uh, later on today as you're as you're walking through. But we're really excited about how God's going to use that. Today we're going to be in lesson number three of our series called Peacemakers and last week we spent all of our time in John chapter four and we analyzed the verse there in John chapter four that is easy to skip over. It's easy to overlook. It's a verse that says uh, that Jesus had to go through Samaria and we saw that Jesus wanted his disciples to know that being a Christ follower didn't mean just sitting around and soaking in those peaceful feelings with those that looked like them and thought like them and acted like them, believed like them. We, We learned that following Jesus is going to stretch us. It's going to challenge us in ways that we really can't even imagine because Jesus intentionally went into Samaria. He was on a mission to bring peace, peace to a woman who desperately longed for peace and hope in her life, and that eventually spread to her entire village in a beautiful way. Now, this event was early on in Christ's ministry. A few years later, In fact, it was the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus spent some time with his disciples sharing a Passover meal together. You remember he washed their feet. And and John records so many beautiful instructions, these last-minute instructions that Jesus gives to his followers one of those is found in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13 where he says a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another Jesus, he gathers his apostles together. He looks at them and he, he gets their attention. And he says, I want you to know something. I want you to know import, this important thing that the one thing that I want you as my followers to be known for, the one thing that should rise above every other thing, the one thing that the world's going to know about you and connect you as my followers is that you love, one another now you can expect our world to be full of anger and division and polarization and you can expect for people to do anything they can to have control and to take power but my disciples Jesus says are not like that we're the opposites the the world might be dark But my disciples are light, polar opposite of the darkness. And so Jesus says, here's what I want the marker to be for my disciples. That is, they will know that you're mine, my disciples, by the way that you treat each other. Everything else is going to be secondary to that. So we can see in John's gospel that Jesus's ministry begins by him stretching his disciples, leading them on this mission of peace into Samaria to show kindness to the Samaritan woman and someone that his disciples had been taught to avoid and and to despise. And then at the end of John's In in the end of Jesus' ministry, we can see that here are Jesus' almost final words with his apostles that the world is going to know that you are mine. The marker for my disciples is going to be the way that they love and treat each other. And so for our text today, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians and we're going to read something that was written about three decades after this. Uh, Paul, the apostle, was in Rome. He was under house arrest. And he writes a letter to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding regions. And many scholars estimate that it was probably around AD 60 to 62. Now, Ephesus was a major city in that day. It boasted one of the greatest, best seaports in the ancient world. And it was perfectly situated between Asia and Europe. And because of that, it was was a gateway for travel and it was a very important crossroads city for commerce. And this meant that Ephesus was a melting pot of nationalities, of language, of religions, and of thought. Now, you can read about how Paul started the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19, but here we have Paul probably around a decade or so later writing back to that church in Ephesus uh, from prison. And and if if you look at the book of uh, Ephesians, you can see that that Paul spends the first three chapters helping his readers understand who they were in God's eyes he wanted them to see themselves and to see others from God's perspective and and um, here at the end of chapter three he begins to refer to this concept of a mystery now when I say mystery a lot of your ears kind of perk up you say wow I like mystery I like reading mystery novels I like mystery movies well I don't know if you're like me sometimes when I hear about a mystery I'm in the process of reading a mystery rather I get so full of tension and anxiety that it's hard for me just to stick with the story I I I will often I have to admit i 'll often jump to the end of the book and read the final chapter to see how it ends because because it's difficult sometimes mysteries are hard, uh, maybe you're like me I don't know maybe you like chaos and, and tension. but here we have Paul referring to a mystery in this text that we have today and Paul reveals God's plan that God had from the beginning of time that not even the patriarchs, not even the kings, not even the priests, not even the prophets understood. But Paul was given a glimpse of this mystery that God revealed to him. So we're going to go into the text today. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, and we have to stop right there, we can't read any further, for this reason. If you're studying the scriptures and you read for this reason, what should you do? You need to go back and say, well, what reason? For what reason? Well, all right, we're going to do that, we're going to skip back. And see what Paul's talking about here. So let's go back to chapter 2, verse 8. And he's he's writing to this church there at Ephesus. And he has this beautiful passage here. It's probably one of your favorites. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one could boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, in my Bible, I've circled that word you up there. Because a lot of times when you when you read uh, the word you in English, particularly those of us who are Americans, we individualize it, and we say, oh, I'm saved by grace through faith, and that's that's correct, that's true, but I don't really think that's what Paul is referring to here. I think if this were the revised Texas version, it would be, for it is by grace that y'all, exactly that y'all have been saved okay he's looking he he has this this letter he's writing to the church and he says you are saved y'all are saved by the grace of god through christ jesus now if you analyze that even more you've got to ask well who is this y'all well He gives us a clue, because in the very next verse, starting in verse 11 and then going on into 12, he speaks specifically just to the Gentiles. He he talks to them. And so he says, uh, in verse 12, he says, remember that at that time, which would be the time before Jesus, at that time, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world so back before Jesus before the cross before the resurrection you Gentiles were excluded from being considered God's people you were outsiders you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise not only that you were without hope you were without God in the world now I read this, and probably like you, I don't know how many of you are Jewish in this audience. But most of us will read this, and we'll say, Praise God. Praise God for Jesus. Because before Christ Jesus as non-Jews, as Gentiles, we were outside looking in. We had no hope. We were with God without God in the world. But Jews, even Christian Jews, wouldn't share a meal with Gentiles. This is how it was. They considered them ceremonially unclean. A Jew, a devout Jew, wouldn't go to a Gentile's house. And because of this, they sure wouldn't worship together. In fact, if you go and you look at the the temple that Herod restored during his time There was this wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And on that wall, written in Latin and Greek, were warnings forbidding Gentiles to enter. The ancient historian Josephus spoke of these inscriptions and writings. And then in 1871 and in 1934, some archaeologists were able to find inscriptions and they read the, the, the inscriptions read as follows, follow, They read as follows: "No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That was before Jesus. But with the coming of Christ, all this changed. And Paul continues on in verse 13. He says, But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, that dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. He's saying the dividing wall that separated Jews and Gentiles was... Destroyed by the coming of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And Christ now takes two very different people groups, two very different hostile parties that have been separated by race, have been separated by religion, and he now makes those two into one, one new humanity. Humanity. What Paul is saying here is that when we were recognized by Jesus' death on the cross, we were reconciled with God, but it didn't stop there. That reconciliation extends to those who we're living with, those in our community as well. And so we're reconciled with one another. It wasn't just Jesus who was put to death on the cross. It was also hostility that was put to death on the cross. This generational hostility that existed for generations. And Paul says, Jesus came and he preached peace. Jesus, our peacemaker. Because through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one spirit. He continues on, he says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners, You're no longer strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also you are members of his household. Think about that. Before they couldn't even enter into the house of a Gentile. Jews would never do that. But now they're part of the same family. Members of God's family. So, okay, now we get back to the text. Chapter 3, verse 1, where we were a while ago. For this reason, I, Paul, the, the, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Well, what's he talking about there? Paul is a prisoner. He's waiting trial. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner of the emperor. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. What? why why does he say that well here's the deal preaching that the cross of christ is more powerful than any ethnic division that might exist and divide people or any tradition that might exist and divide people just preaching that was controversial When Paul went and said that we are now all part of one new humanity because of the cross of Christ, he found that he had many enemies. And so one time when he was in in Rome, you can read, I'm sorry, when when he was in Jerusalem, you can read about this in, in the book of Acts at the very end of it. Paul was in Jerusalem. They identified him. They arrested him. There was a murder plot that was about to, to take place, to take his life. Paul appealed to Caesar, and so he was sent to Rome as a Roman citizen to await trial before Caesar. And while he's there, while he was there waiting for his trial, he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says to the Gentiles, yes, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus because I've been preaching that the cross of Christ now includes you Gentiles into God's family. Yes, that's the reason that I'm a prisoner, but I want you to know it's for your glory. It's for God's glory. I'm not regretting this at all. In fact, he says, this is why I was called by God. He continues on. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. He said, you you probably have heard my story. You know how I was traveling to Damascus and and I was knocked out from my horse and I was blinded by a light and God said, Paul, I have a mission for you and that mission is for you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You've probably heard that story before. Verse 4, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. In other words, God revealed to me as He sent me out to the Gentiles, God revealed it to me His mysterious hidden plan. This secret, this mystery wasn't known to previous generations. But now God, through his spirit, has revealed it to us through the prophets and through the apostles speaking and confirming the word of God. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, here it is, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So here's the mystery, he says. The Greek word for this is the Greek word mysterion, which is where we actually get our English word mystery. And it's not necessarily something that's not knowable, but rather it means it can be known only through revelation. And in this context, known because God reveals it. So what Paul is saying is that God, through the Holy Spirit, has made it clear that through the gospel, through the cross, both Jews and Gentiles share equally in the riches inherited by god's children they're both part of the same body in jesus they are now one new humanity he didn't tell the jews to quit being jews he didn't tell the gentiles to quit being gentiles rather he created an entirely new humanity where both enjoy the promises of blessings in christ jesus verse seven i became a servant of this gospel by the gift of god's grace given me Through the working of His power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. You see, Paul's mission was to let the Gentiles know that they are now included in God's grace they're no longer outsiders. Paul's mission was to let them know that God included them that they are now part of God's family. And Paul's mission was also to let the church know that Gentiles are included in God's grace. And then he gets to verse 10, and verse 10 is one of the richest passages of of scripture that you can find in your Bible. You could meditate on this. You could, you could spend some time analyzing this and never, never exhaust it. Paul writes, his intent or God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I read this, and as I've wrestled with this, in my mind it's almost as if God speaks to Paul in in a vision. And it's almost as if God, the artist, God, the, the creator, he gives Paul this little glimpse as to why God is doing all this. Why did the creation come about? What is all this about? almost as if you were talking to an artist and they were telling you about their, their sculptor or, or their, their beautiful painting. It's this language that, that Paul uses as he talks about this. That, that this is God's great poem. That this is God's masterpiece. That this is God's new work. That this is God's new humanity. This new creation. The church of Jesus Christ it's the church that reveals God's wisdom that even even the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm sit up and take notice and marvel at the wisdom of God what God is saying is that in the church the unifying power of the cross is so strong that even the Jews and the Gentiles lay down their hostility and their anger and their bitterness. Two groups in the world. It's almost as if, maybe, maybe it was like this, God was waiting and he, got, he says, I need to find the two groups in the world that are so polar, polar opposite, separated by such a great gulf. And I'm going to pick those two and I'm going to show my wisdom and show the power of the cross by bringing these two polar opposite groups together into one new humanity. Kent Hughes writes this, A study of the history of the ancient world tells us that none of today's social distinctions, none of our racial barriers, Our narrow nationalisms or iron curtains are more exclusive or unrelenting than the separation between Jews and Gentiles in biblical times. The Jews believe the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. Think of it God gets Jews and God gets the Gentiles. And he says, I'm going to show the world the power of the cross by having you come together with one purpose. And you're going to show love and kindness to one another. Not only were they generational enemies, they had different languages, they had different culture, they had different traditions. They had different backgrounds that they brought into all of this. They enjoyed different foods. They had different ways of processing information. Think of it. The Jews had an Eastern approach to Scripture, an Eastern approach to approaching God. The Gentiles typically would have a more Greco-Roman approach, a Western approach. They would bring all these differences in to one new humanity to the glory of God. Now, Paul could have said, you know, this is pretty hard. Tell you what, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we had Jews, a Jewish church for for the Jews, and then we had a Gentile church for the Gentiles. And then maybe even, you know, that might even be a little hard. So so we're going to have different branches of each of those. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said, by doing that, it would take away from the glory of God and the power of the cross. And so God creates a new humanity. Some scholars have even said a third race. And he brings them in together and he calls them the church. Two observations as we end today. First of all, Through a vastly diverse but unified church, the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms marvel at God's wisdom. Have you ever thought that the way that we treat each other has cosmic impact? That's what Paul's saying. One scholar wrote, Through studying the church the angelic hosts observes the reconciling work of Christ, which is the model for reconciling the reconciling of the universe when everything on heaven and earth will be brought together under the rule of Jesus. You see, the angels are there studying the church, and, and they're in awe at the wisdom of God. But Satan's army of demons also see the church, and they realize that they are defeated. The very existence of the church is a sign to demons that their authority has been broken, that their final defeat is imminent. God shows through the church that his purposes are being fulfilled and that they are moving toward a climax. I love that. The bigger picture. But then secondly, Here's another observation through a vastly diverse but unified church, the world will see the unifying power of the cross of Christ. You know, we're we're always going to live in a polarized world. We're always going to live in an, in a culture of discord and arguing and us versus them. That's always going to exist. But God's design for the church is for us to be a counterculture. God doesn't want the church to blend in with the culture, but to stand out as different so that others are attracted to to the difference that they see here that they long for and they're not finding in society. But here in the church, it's different. The church's design should be the one place in this world where everyone can feel accepted and treated with kindness and love. Paul said God's purpose was to create one new humanity and through the cross to put to death hostility. And so the world is supposed to see something different when they see the church. They're supposed to see a community, a community that's diverse but never polarized, A community that's that's got lots of different, very different people, but they're not divided. God's intention is for the world to see the community of Christians, of Christ followers, and see love and kindness and acceptance, and that's what they will be known by. So here's something I'm wondering about. Could it be that the greater diversity that we have as a church body, the more the world sees the unifying power of the cross of Christ? I have to admit, this is a hard teaching. It's hard for me. I've been wrestling with this. My spirit fights against this, my flesh fights against this because I like the comfortable, I like the easy. But then I go and I realize that it's, it's, this is a difficult teaching, not just for me, but even the apostles had, hard, had a hard time with this. You go and you, you follow the life of Peter, you see that Peter, Peter struggled with this over and over and over again. This is a hard teaching. I don't, I don't really think that God ever intended for church to be easy. You see, people are involved in church, and church is always going to be messy. Jesus didn't call us to comfort, where everyone around us is just like us, and thinks like us, and looks like us, and and acts like us. You see, if we're with people that are all alike, it's more like a club or a clique, but not a church. We're part of God's masterpiece. Recently I was talking to one of our members and they were following up on a visitor who had come and visited our church and they were calling back just to to check and see uh, how did it go, will they be able to come back the next week and when he asked that question there was silence on the other end of the phone. Then he finally spoke up the person that he had called, he said, you know, I just don't think I fit in there. When I heard that, my heart sank. That someone came and they left. And they don't think they're going to come back because they just don't fit in here. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says, I want you to change the world. And I want you to start with your city. And here's how you do it. You Jews, you need to do everything you can to show love, kindness, and honor to those Gentiles. You need to make them feel like they belong. Yeah, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult, but God's Holy Spirit is going to help you. And Paul says to those Gentiles, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do everything possible that you can do to show love and to show kindness and honor and respect to the Jews. I know that's going to be hard for you. I know they irritate you. I know you feel judged by them. But I want you to make them feel like they belong. And God's Holy Spirit is going to give you the power that you need. And when you do this, you're going to stand out from your divided, your polarized, your angry world. And people are going to marvel at this new community, this new humanity of people who are known by their love. And then, and then when that happens, you'll have a chance to tell them about the hope that you have in Christ Jesus because they will see it lived out in your lives. Christopher Wright there's written a book called The Mission of God, and in this book he says this, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. So Paul ends this third chapter with a beautiful prayer prayer for the ephesians church but before that he writes one final verse he says in him speaking of jesus in him and through faith in him we may approach god with freedom and confidence i ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory he says that In Jesus and in our faith in Christ Jesus, we have this hope. We can approach God with confidence, with courage. But not only that, it's not only our our hope, but we also see that Paul grows with this hope into a mission that we can live with purpose because of that hope. He says, don't be discouraged with my sufferings for you, absolutely not in fact that's why i'm living right now you see we can find hope in christ jesus and then that begins to change the way that we live our life we live with purpose every day so today you may have come and you may not know jesus Oh, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus. It may be that that you've heard mention of baptism before and you're confused about that. We would love to talk to you about that. It may be that you've brought in a deep burden in your life and you'd like to just have it lifted up before the Father in prayer. We would love to pray for you. We're going to transition now. After we're going to sing a song and then transition into our common meal, this time that we celebrate this oneness that we have because of Christ Jesus, sing nothing but the blood. But as we close out, if you would like to visit, if you would like to talk more, if you would like to pray, several of us will be in the Welcome Center and we would love to greet you there. So let's... Think of the words of this song as we celebrate this common meal together, celebrating our unity in Christ Jesus that is brought to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood. Money.